1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Verse 6. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. And you can be seated. All right, so this morning we are going back to Bible land. We are going to be reading uh, quite a bit actually out of the Old Testament in order to understand what Paul is talking about here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He's got, he's got several stories from the Old Testament that he has in mind that he's bringing into his, his argument to the Corinthians. Uh, just a heads up, these are not heartwarming stories. These are not the, the happy stories where God brings miraculous deliverance and, and all is saved and the people praise him. This is not God saving Elisha and his servant from the Syrian army sort of stuff. These are stories where God's righteous judgment explodes upon Israel for their complaining, for their idolatry, for their sexual immorality. And I think that's something that we need to take note of. The people he judges, it turns out, in all of these stories are actually the people of Israel. They're not the surrounding pagan nations. They're all of those who claim to be part of the people of God, but they get caught up into idolatry and sexual morality and grumbling. And as a result, there's judgment. And I think the thing that we need to understand about these stories that we're going to, to read through is that the same holy God that Israel was supposedly following then is the same holy God that we worship now. His holiness has not changed. His demands have not changed. The glory and honor and thanksgiving that he, he is due has not changed now that we are in the new covenant. In fact, we could even say that the standards in the new covenant are higher for us than they were in the old covenant because what God demands explicitly from us is a heart that follows him even more than simply outward actions. Jesus makes it clear that, that his disciples are to be holy from the inside out. Now, if you remember from chapters 8 through 10, the Apostle Paul is talking about this issue of idolatry. Idolatry has crept in in the church of Corinth, and Paul has addressed this issue in several ways. He's, he's tried to help the Corinthians understand that you think they'd know, but that idolatry is a bad thing. And, and that shouldn't be going on here. This morning, we're just going to see that the bottom line here for Paul is that God does not play around with idolatry because he is holy. And he will put an end to people who partake 
in idolatry. If you think about it, there is, there is nothing more offensive to the one true and living God than idolatry. Because idolatry functionally either A, denies he exists, or B, says, well, you're not the only one, and so my allegiance is to more than you, is to other gods than you. And so idolatry is a violation of the very first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. And oftentimes it's also a violation of the second commandment, which is creating an image in heaven and on earth or the sea below and worshiping that as God. The Bible says that God is a jealous God. He will allow no competition at all when it comes to worship of him. I was, I was talking to a guy not long ago, and, and he goes, why, why do you think that it is that, that people need to be told to worship God? I mean, if he's really all that glorious and awesome, like you'd think that, you know, we wouldn't need to be reminded of it. You know why? Because we're sinful, and we will worship anything other than the one true and living God. John Calvin once said that our hearts are a factory of idols, right? We've got little machinery going on. We got conveyor belts going on. We got delivery trucks going on for the idols that our hearts produce 24 seven. We got like nonstop idol manufacturing going on. And as a result, we need to be continually reminded by the one true and living God. Hey, he's the only one. He's the one that gives you life and breath and food and everything. We need to be reminded that on a constant basis. Paul says as much here in verse 6. He says, Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. You remember last week we talked about how God had delivered the Israelites out of Egypt in this amazing way. They were baptized in a sense as they went through the water. And they, they took the Lord's Supper sort of in a sense as God miraculously provided them spiritual food and spiritual drink to sustain them in the wilderness. And yet, as it turns out, most of them weren't even believers. God was displeased with most of them and put most of them to death. And Paul says they serve as examples for us. The Greek word is typoi. They were precursors to us. This is is kind of how it's always been. You've always had this group of people who claims to be the people of God. And within that group, there's a small group who actually is the people of God. And God often pours out judgment on those who simply claim to be his people. So he worked with that generation, but he sovereignly used that generation as an example for us. And the example is really what not to do. Take note of them. Learn what happened. And then don't do it. And here he wants us to take note of four examples from the Old Testament. We're going to take a look at all of these examples. We're going to be flipping around mostly in Exodus and Numbers this morning. So uh, you might put a bookmark here now, but we'll be flipping back around there. But, but let me just make a few comments. First of all, all the examples that we're going to see are examples of evil hearts in action. And that's what he says in verse 6. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. There is zero virtue in anything that we're going to read about here in just a couple of minutes. And why does that matter? Well, because usually when people who claim to be part of the people of God, when they get involved in idolatry or immorality or any sort of other sin, grumbling, complaining, that sort of thing, they usually try to justify it. No, 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 this is okay. God, God is actually pleased by this. I, I, I follow this guy on social media and, and 
I don't know why I follow him, but he tries to make this case. He's a Catholic guy, and he tried to make a case that it's, it's good to have premarital sex and then just go confess that to your priest. Like, it's, it's good. That way you can understand whether or not you're compatible. I'm like, what? Why would you make this? They're trying to justify sexual immorality because this is actually what makes God happy. No, we know what makes God happy. People often try to justify their sin, but we need to understand that it comes from an evil heart. Secondly, there's a variety of sins that we're going to see, all of which the Corinthians were dabbling in. Okay, so notice in verse 7, he says, do not be idolaters. So they were dabbling in idolatry. Verse 8 he says, we must not indulge in sexual immorality. So the Corinthians were indulging in sexual immorality, and so were the Israelites. Verse 9, putting Jesus to the test. We must not put Christ to the test. So when we sin and when we press things, we're putting Christ to the test. That's what the Israelites did. And then verse 10, nor grumble as some of them did. Grumbling is a form of complaining. All of these sins, you guys, are a rejection of God. They're all saying, God, what you are and what you're giving me is not good enough for me. And so I'm rejecting you for something better. You know what that's called? It's called idolatry. And the people of God have always been tempted into idolatry. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a little tour through the Old Testament. We're going to spend some time there. And then we're going to come back here at the end and just kind of briefly tie it all together. And I think you'll see it all sort of unfold. So let's go back to Exodus 32 for a minute. Exodus chapter 32. In Exodus 32, we have the golden calf incident. Very infamous incident. If you remember, Egypt, or excuse me, Israel had just come out of Egypt. They were delivered by God. They're all at the base of Mount Sinai, and they're overwhelmed by the awesome majesty of God. God's glory is there. There's thunder and lightning and smoke and fire and the angels blasting the trumpet. And they're like, oh, we can't handle your glory and your power. Send Moses up. And so anyway, so Moses goes up and he's delayed a little while. And the people are all down below and they're like, hey, what happened to Moses? We don't know what happened to this guy. He's been gone for over a month up on this mountain. And so they want to hear from God. And so Aaron, the uh, Moses's brother, the high priest that he is, He's going to make him a Yahweh. going to make him a little idol, a little trinket. Yahweh brought us out. We don't see Moses. We don't see Yahweh. So I'm going to make you a Yahweh. So take a look. Exodus 32, verses 1 through 6. So when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. This is one of the most infamous acts in Israel's history. 
where just after the biggest deliverance that God has ever done in Israel's history, thus to this far, they commit idolatry. Do you notice also that Aaron doesn't say this is just some other God? Notice what he calls him in verse 5. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. Well, those letters are all in capitals. That's actually Yahweh. That's God's divine name. These golden calves that he made, he's calling them Yahweh. He's saying, I'm, I'm still calling him the same God. This is just, this is just the image of that God that, that brought us up out of Egypt. Isn't he giving honor to God? That's what he's doing, right? No, he, he's violating the second commandment. He's making an idol. And the people are eating and they're drinking. They're rising up to play. It's this gluttonous feast of sexual immorality. That idea of rising up to play, it ain't talking about playing soccer. It's a euphemism for sexual immorality. It's this big mass of sexual immorality at the base of the mountain in the name of Yahweh. Idolatry and sexual immorality, as we're going to see, often go hand in hand. And they're all caught up in this, all of it. And so, so you know kind of the story. God tells Moses what's going on, and he heads down there. So we'll skip a little bit. But look down in verse 19. So, so Moses is coming down the mountain. And as soon as he came near to the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets out of his hand and he broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water. And he made the people of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people, they are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me and I threw it in the fire and out came this calf. Like, wow, magic. I just, I just threw the gold in and out popped this calf. It's amazing. What's interesting is in the, the section that we read earlier, it says he fashioned it. This didn't pop out. You guys know that. But he had fashioned it. Something we need to understand is that sin usually begets more sin. So it goes from sexual immorality to idolatry to lying on down the road. Sin begets more sin. Really? You sure you just threw that thing in and out came the calf? Look at God's response. This is pretty, pretty dramatic. Verse 25. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and he said, Who is on Yahweh's side? Come to me. And all of the sons of Levi gathered around him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate through the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did, according to the word of Moses, and that day about, about 3,000 of the people, 3,000 men of the people fell. Verse 29. And Moses said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, 
each one at the cost of his own son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. The next day, Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they had made a calf, the one that Aaron made. God's not playing around, is he? 3,000 people died at the hands of the Levites. And then the Lord sent a plague. And then he offered more judgment. This is the same holy God who had brought them out of Egypt, who had judged Egypt for all of their idolatry. He's now judging the Israelites for the exact same type of idolatry, for a rejection of him. The requirement of holiness has not changed. Paul says, do not be idolaters like they were. Don't go after other gods. Paul also said we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 of them died in a single day. Remember that? He says that in 1 Corinthians 10. Well, that's from Numbers chapter 25. So turn over to Numbers. So Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers chapter 25. Now this is right after the whole Balaam incident. You guys remember Balaam? So, so there was a, there was a king of Moab, right, right across the, the river basically from Israel named Balak. And Balak saw that the Israelites were growing and they were increasing. And Balak wanted to hire a Jewish prophet to pronounce curses on the Israelites. And so he knows this guy Balaam and Balaam wants the cash. And so Balaam's like, I'll do it. And so he tries to do it. But every time he's about to prophesy something wicked against Israel, only blessing comes out of his mouth. And Balak and Balaam are getting frustrated. They're like, dude, I'm hiring you to curse them. And every time you open your mouth, you bless them. Like you're doing the exact opposite of what I want you to do. And so he, he's actually divinely restrained by God from pronouncing curse on them. Well, what we find out is actually Balaam comes up with a plan. And he goes, well, my mouth can't speak against them, but I know how I can get Israel to stumble. Just go put prostitutes all along the watering areas. And when the men go down to pick up water, they'll go into the prostitutes and will corrupt all of Israel and God's blessing will be withheld. Well, lo and behold, that actually happens. And that's what chapter 25 is. So take a look at verse one. While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, each of you Kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to Baal of Peor. 
And behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman to his family in the sight of Moses and in the sight of the whole congregation of the people of Israel. He's in direct defiance. I'm going to go get a woman from Midian. I'm going to bring her in. What you going to do about it? So verse 6, while they were weeping in the entrance of the tent of meeting, verse 7, when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest saw it, he rose and left the congregation and took a spear in his hand, and he went after the man of Israel into the chamber and pierced both of them, the man of Israel and the woman through her belly. Thus the plague of the people of Israel was stopped. Nevertheless, those who died by the plague were 24,000. Wow. That doesn't make it into a lot of children's Bibles. But this is important. This is a high-handed sin caused by sexual immorality. Where did the men of Israel end up going here according to verse 2? They went to the sacrifices. They went to the temple. They ate. They bowed down to their gods. What was going on in Corinth? They were going to the pagan temples. They were sacrificing and they were eating in front of the gods. What's it called when Israel does it? It's idolatry. What's it called when the church does it? It's idolatry. Paul's making this very clear connection. What you guys are doing when you go to the pagan temple and you sit down and you eat an animal that's been sacrificed to Baal or Zeus or whoever is the same exact thing that Israel did. And God judged Israel for it. In fact, this 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 event where um, Phineas rams them through with a spear, it's looked on as good judgment, actually. That's when God relents. The sin that gets them to the temple is the sin of sexual immorality, and then God kills 24,000 of them for that. That sexual immorality, again, as sin spreads, turns into idolatry and turns into everything else. This is the correction that Paul's making. Remember that one of the problems in Corinth, again, was that, that these people thought that in their religious liberty, their Christian liberty, they could go to a pagan temple and they could eat and they could go to prostitutes and they could have sex. You guys, there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. People have tried to justify sin since time immemorial. And that's Paul's point. You can't do that and think that somehow it's okay with God. He is a holy God. Just as a side note, Numbers says 24,000 people died, and Paul says 23,000 people died. I don't know if you caught that or not. Just a, just a little bit of a, a, a how, do you, how do you put all that together? I, I think Numbers is talking about the whole number of people that died. Paul is, and you notice that there's some leaders who died, and then there's the rest of the congregation who died. I think Paul is just talking about the rest of the congregation. I think that makes up for the, the discrepancy there. In any case... We are not to commit idolatry. We're not to commit sexual immorality. None of that is appropriate. None of that has ever been appropriate for the people of God. The third example was not putting Christ to the test. And the people were destroyed by serpents. Okay. So turn back to Numbers 21. This is just a couple chapters earlier. Most of us know this story because Jesus actually mentions it. I don't know if you remember in John chapter 3. You remember that? Um, 
Yeah, and, and he actually likens himself to the bronze serpent that's lifted up. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Um, but the people of Israel are wandering in the wilderness. And they're putting Christ to the test. So look at Numbers 21, verses 4 through 9. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many of the people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. We have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and he would live. What's a sin that they are being judged for? It's grumbling. It's complaining. God's given them water and food. And they're like, I am so sick of this water. I'm so sick of this manna. And God's like, send in the snakes. Send them in, the fiery ones. We're putting them to death. And that's what he does. I don't even know what a fiery snake is, but the fiery snakes go in and they start biting and people start dropping. I mean, talk about a crazy judgment. I mean, of all the ways to like, you know what? I'm going to put people to death. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do fiery serpents. He could have done watery serpents. He could have done any kind of serpents, but he has fiery serpents and he puts them all to death. Can you imagine the next time you started complaining about something? Like God just like, send in the snakes. Send them in. You guys, that's what we deserve. We deserve judgment. We deserve death. That's what our sin demands from a holy God. The only thing that keeps us from dying by that is his mercy. And again, by the way, Jesus likens himself to that bronze serpent that was lifted up. The bronze serpent, all anybody had to do was look at that thing. Why would they look at it? Because they believed that God would save them through simply looking at a bronze serpent. Talk about a weird way to save them. But they just believed. It was simply by faith. And Jesus says, just as that bronze serpent was lifted up, so too I will be lifted up, like on the cross, so that anyone who looks at me shall live. Same thing. Salvation is just by faith. Just by faith in Jesus, that he will save us from the wrath that we deserve from God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. This is Jesus sending in the snakes. Jesus our Lord, holy and pure and powerful, judging these people. The Israelites put Jesus to the test here and honestly, we often put him to the test. We often complain. We often deserve that same judgment. I, and I got to be honest with you. The one thing I hate more than anything is complainers. And you know what I do about it? I complain about complainers. I hate complaining. I deserve the same judgment. We all deserve that same judgment, you guys. 
The only reason we don't get that judgment is because God is merciful to us in Christ. Because he is our bronze serpent. He's the true bronze serpent. The fourth example that Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 10 is that some grumbled and were destroyed by the destroyer. He, he really makes the, the line clear that grumbling is, is a big problem. Well, when did that happen? Well, that happened a lot, actually. And we're going to look at a couple of things here. So look over at Numbers 11. Some people think that Paul only had one event in mind. Uh, others think that he had multiple events in mind. I, I tend to believe that he had multiple events in mind because the, the people of Israel just complained a lot, all the time. So Numbers chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. This is interesting. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was, his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burned from among them and consumed some of the outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses and Moses prayed to the Lord and the fire died down. So the name of that place was called Taborah because the fire of the Lord burned among them. I mean, think about that. God is doing to Israel almost exactly what he did to Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's doing it because of complaining. The fire from heaven is so bad, they actually call the place Taborah, which means burning. Yeah, remember burning? That's what was going on because we were complaining. God absolutely destroyed all of them. Look at Numbers 14. So remember, God leads Israel out of Egypt, and they're... They go down to Mount Sinai, and then they're supposed to send in the 12 spies. Remember that? To check out the promised land. And so they send in the 12 spies. Ten of them come back and are like, hey, the land's good, but those guys are too big. God can't destroy those guys. He, apparently, he can destroy the entire country of Egypt, but he can't destroy a couple of big guys in the promised land. Two guys were faithful, though. They were excited, and they thought, hey, no, God, God can do this. The other t- ten spies, because of their report... And their, their complaining caused all of Israel to sin. So what's God going to do to them? I'll give you two guesses what he's going to do. Numbers 14, verses 26 through 38. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they, have, which they grumble against me. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness, and of all your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me, not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. But your little ones, who you said would become prey, I will bring in. And they shall know the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness. And your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness 40 years. And shall suffer for your faithlessness until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness. According to the number of the days which you, sit, which you spied out the land, 40 days, a year for each day you shall bear your iniquity, 40 years. And you shall know my displeasure. 
I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this I will do to all of this wicked congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness, they shall come to a full end, and there they shall die. And the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, who returned and made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing up a bad report about the land, the men who brought up a bad report of the land, they died by plague from the Lord. Of those men who went to spy out the land, only Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh remained alive. Not only did God specifically kill the ten, but the language is that all of those, that, that generation, 20 years old and upward, who died in the wilderness, that was actually a judgment of God. I will drag your dead bodies out into the wilderness, and that's where they will die in the sand. The whole generation, everybody he brought up out of Egypt. That's God's judgment for complaining. The other time that's worth mentioning is two chapters later in number 16. Let's look at one more. Just to cheer us up. Keep us happy. The beatings will continue until morale improves, right? In chapter 16, we have what's called Korah's Rebellion. I'm, I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's, it's rather long. You can read it on your own. But the gist here is that God had made Aaron... So, so the Levites were to, to, to basically be the priests, but he had made Aaron, who was a Levite, Aaron and his family specifically to, to be the priestly line. Every, all the other Levites were just to kind of help out around the tabernacle and the temple. But what we have here is, is sort of this rebellion led by this man named Korah, and he, and he riles up some other people, some other Levites and some other people to go, hey, why do you think you're so great that, that you get to be the priestly line? We can be the priestly line. We can do whatever we want. We're just as special as you guys are. And Moses is like, no, 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 no. Uh, God specifically said Aaron and his family line. And so there's this little back and forth in this little little rebellion. So take a look at, at chapter 16, verses 8 through 11. And Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi. Is it too small a thing for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel? to bring you near to himself, to do service in the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister to them. And that he has brought you near him and all your brothers, the sons of Levi, with you. And would you seek the priesthood also? Therefore, it is against the Lord that you and all of your company have gathered together. What is Aaron that you grumble against him? And just drop down to verse 16 there. And Moses said to Korah, be present, you and all your company before the Lord, you and they and Aaron tomorrow. And let every one of you take his censer, little little metal box that had fire in it, and put incense on it. And every one of you bring before the Lord his censer, 250 censers. You also and Aaron each censer. So every man took his censer and put fire in them and laid incense on them and stood at the entrance of the tent of meeting with Moses and Aaron. Then Korah assembled all the congregation against them at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Big showdown. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. Verse 20. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron saying, separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces and they said, Oh God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, 
Shall one man sin and you will be angry with all the congregation? And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, say to the congregation, get away from the dwelling of Korah, Dothan, and Abiram. Verse 25, then Moses rose and went to Dothan and Abiram and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation saying, depart please from the tents of these wicked men and touch nothing of theirs, lest you be swept away with all their sins. And so they got away from the dwelling of Korah, Dothan, and Abiram. And Dothan and Abiram came out and they stood at the door of their tents together with their wives, their sons, and their little ones. And Moses said, Hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, and that it has not been of my own accord. If these men die, if these men die as all men die, or if they are visited by the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates something new, and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into Sheol, then you shall know that these men have despised the Lord. So if God opens the earth and closes it back on them, you'll know that they're in the wrong. Verse 20, verse 31. And as soon as he finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their gods. So that all that belonged to them went down into Sheol and the earth closed over them and they perished from the midst of the assembly. And all Israel who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, lest the earth swallow us up. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men offering incense. God doesn't play with grumbling, you guys. He doesn't play with rebellion. I mean, these, these were Levites. They were technically in a, in a line where they were going to serve at the tabernacle in the temple, but they wanted prestige. They wanted privilege. And God says, no, that's not legitimate. That's not what I've ordained for you. That's not the station I've given you in life. Stop complaining about where I've put you. Now, with all of that history fresh in our minds, let's turn back to 1 Corinthians 10 and kind of put this whole thing together. Look at verses 6 through 11. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So Paul twice says that these things were written down for our example, for us. Why? Because we're tempted to all these things, you guys. We're tempted to idolatry, to grumbling, to sexual immorality, to all of that. Paul says in verse 10 that the end of the ages has come upon us. What what does that mean? Well, remember at the death and resurrection, ascension of Jesus and the coming of the Spirit, we're in a new age. We're in the new covenant. And we could say, well, you know, we're in the new covenant. So, I mean, that old covenant stuff, that doesn't really really pertain to us. Paul says, "Uh uh-uh. 
The human heart is still just as sinful now as it has always been. And you need to be very careful of how you live. Paul says that even though we're in these last days, and we have been for 2,000 years, and the events in the Old Testament happened under the Old Covenant, we can still learn from them and grow in holiness and godliness. And here's the practical implication, verse 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. If you think you can go headlong into idolatry, or to sexual immorality, or to grumbling and complaining, and somehow pawn it off that, nah, God's going to be okay. I'm in Jesus. I'm in the new covenant. He says, take heed, lest you fall. Remember in the Old Testament, when he said the word fall, what did he mean? He meant death. Lest God judge you and kill you. We're going to see later in 1 Corinthians 11, people were messing up the Lord's Supper, and God had put some of them to death for that. The same holy God of the Old Covenant is the same holy God that we worship now, you guys. Through faith in Jesus, our sins are washed away. We have eternal life. We have communion with God. But it is a holy God that we have communion with. We need to take care that our hearts are not idolatrous or sexually immoral or grumbling or complaining. Stand firm in righteousness and in the grace that he's given us. Let's pray. Father, we are guilty of all of these things, and we pray, Lord, that you would forgive us. Keep our hearts from grumbling and complaining and from immorality and from idolatry. Lord, may we be wholly devoted to you, and as we look to these people of old, let us not be condescending or arrogant, thinking somehow we're better. We're not. Help us to take heed to these things, and may we live our lives pleasing to you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.